Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Taste the Mediterranean through March 19th at Whole Foods Market. Save on Animal Welfare Certified Bone-In Beef Short Ribs, Sustainable Wild-Caught Sockeye Salmon, and more. Find sales on Parmigiano-Reggiano, Charcuterie and Ground Lamb. Grab an Olive Boule Bread from the Bakery. Plus, wines from the Mediterranean start at just $8.99. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. Must be 21+. plus. Please drink responsibly. This is Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast. Welcome to Football Social Daily, an award-winning Premier League podcast. All of the latest top flight news and views discussed on the show right throughout the week. But on a Wednesday, we like to take a step back and get to know someone who's lived the life that so many of us dream of. Today's Premier League personality went from local lad to club legend and professional player to prolific fundraiser. Francis Benali was born in, raised in and played for Southampton, making over 300 appearances for his boyhood club. When you think of Saints, you think of Benali. It's utterly inconceivable that Franny could have played for anyone else. Or is it? When I was about to sign schoolboy forms, there were a handful of clubs interested in signing me. Southampton and the other one was Portsmouth. Sounds like a close shave for both Saints and Pompey fans there. And speaking of shaving, whatever did happen to that famous bristling moustache? You know, the club wasn't big enough for for two moustaches and mine had to go. Well, whether you remember Francis with or without his famous facial hair, believe it or not, he never actually played in a South Coast derby. I think I was intentionally left out. You know, of all the games I would probably want to play in in my career, it would be that one. Playing in that game will no doubt have got the blood pumping. But post-retirement, Franny turned his hand to fundraising, pushing his body to its absolute limit to help those less fortunate. I went to bed that night. I just remember my heart was really thumping and pounding as if I was sprinting down the street. And I thought, wow, this isn't right. My body was broken physically. Deep down, I knew it was the right decision. I I literally had nothing else left to give at that point. Joining myself, Jim and Marley on Football Social Daily today, former Southampton man Francis Bernali. Franny, great to have you back on the show. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, really good now. Thanks. Hi, hi guys. Good to, to join you. Really, really looking forward to this one. So what have you been up to recently then, Franny? Of course, we know that you had a great professional career with Southampton and you've been doing loads of fundraising stuff away from the game since you've retired. We've seen you on TV. So what is it you've been up to? Well, I, th- I think sort of post-retirement, I've, I've sort of weaved around some different jobs and professions and and some businesses but uh, now I find myself working as a pundit and as a 
a speaker, whether that's going into schools, universities or businesses. Um, and I find myself at a stage in life where I'm really happy doing the things I'm doing. I get a real buzz from, from working in football, albeit no longer from a playing sense. Uh, and it's great to have that connection with football, but also as an ambassador of Saints Foundation and Southampton Football Club, there's that connection with the team that I've always had such a love for over the years. And um, yeah, my work as a speaker, I just hope that I can share some inspiration and you know put some uh, positivity, positivity into some other people's lives as well. You do seem like a ridiculously busy man, maybe busier post-playing than you were when you were playing. Was that like a conscious thing? hanging up your boots. You're, I mean, you, you see a lot of players falling into the pitfalls of suddenly having football and not having football. Were you very conscious that you needed things to focus on going forward in the latter half of your life? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Maybe everybody's different, aren't they? But uh, I, I think certainly for me, not one of those people that really can sit around for too long, not doing too much. Um, the physical side of things and fitness, clearly through my career, was a huge thing, uh, not just by playing a sport, but I felt I had to really dedicate myself and be it the fittest I could be to to enable myself to compete at the level of the sport I wanted to play at. Um, so that, you know, fitness and lifestyle and eating healthy and doing all the things that, you know, hopefully you should do to, to have a, a, a fit and healthy lifestyle is, is just continued beyond my playing days. So you know, sort of keeping fit and maybe taking on the ultra endurance challenges I did in recent years was was maybe just something that was almost like a an inevitable sort of thing to to work towards beyond the playing days. Are you a bit of a chef, Franny? Do you like to cook your own uh, healthy meals? Uh, Jim, do you know what? I'm 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 embarrassed to say this. Uh, I'm I'm not a cook whatsoever, <laughs> but I I love my food. I'm I'm a real foodie. You know, as a family, we're foodies. Um, yeah, I, I I enjoy the the odd bit of junk food here and there as well, and you know just just love food. But I'm not a cook whatsoever. I'm I'm ashamed to say that, you know, because uh, I'm I'm pretty lazy on that front. But you know, I'm I'm more than happy to clear up and do the dishes and all that side of things. Well, we'll let you off, Franny, seeing as you ran seven Ironman challenges in seven days and raised a hell of a lot of money for charity. So. I'm sure we'll let you off not being able to rustle up some food together. Looking into that challenge that you did actually in recent years, you burned something like 61,000 calories in a week. So what on earth do you eat to keep yourself going when you've got seven Ironmans back to back to deal with? Whatever you like, pretty <laughs> yeah, much. Yeah, it seems like anything. It, it, it pretty much was that, guys. I mean, you, you, you imagine it's all the, the obvious like pasta, rice and uh, carbs and things like that, putting the good stuff in. There was a clearly a mixture of things like energy gels, isotonic drinks, um, numerous sort of tablets and things to, to, to have good gut health because, you know, when you, you're sort of drinking that many sort of sports drinks, um, gels, things like that, and food, that the, the, the calorie side of it was the, the, the issue for me on pretty much every one of the challenges that I took on. Um, and the one that you mentioned, the last one in 2019, I think it was, where... I attempted to do the seven Ironman distance triathlons in seven days uh, and ultimately ended up doing five in seven because I got withdrawn by my, my family and my team to to get checked out and, and, and went to hospital and needed some rest and recovery for a couple of days. But the, the team continued it uh, and I was trying to consume 10,000 calories a day on that challenge and, and that was the struggle. I, I couldn't do it. 
you know, right from day one, literally from the breakfast on day one, before I got in the pool that day, uh, I, I was playing catch up. I, I couldn't put the, the calories in that was required to to fuel my body to do that kind of exertion. Um, and quickly, physically and mentally, I, I was pretty much going downhill from day one and was in a real mess by the, the end of day four, which resulted in the team sort of withdrawing me for that stage. Because there's two mental sides to an endurance challenge. One is the kind of keeping going thing. And anyone who's ever done anything pretty much physical that pushes their body to the limit knows that period where you go, I want to give up now. That's it. I want to go home. And somehow you either carry on or you don't carry on. That's one side of it. And that's kind of like mental toughness. But I guess the other side of it is when you set out on a challenge like you've just described and you don't quite get there for whatever reasons you don't compete and it, it it's not obviously in this scenario it's not of your own decision to kind of like stop doing that challenge it was physically impossible for you to do so but that must be a bit of a blow psychologically as well the feeling that you've not managed to complete what you set out to do yeah that that moment I mean I've done two previous challenges before that one was running th- between 14 50 miles a day every day for three weeks running to all the Premier League stadiums. Then I did another challenge after that where I added a bike to it and was covering 100 miles a day for 14 days. So, you know, each, each of the challenges roughed me up one way or another or there was injuries to struggle with. That yeah. moment where, I, you know, the team withdrew me uh, on the Ironman challenge was, at the time, it was crushing for me. But at the same time, deep down, I knew it was the right call and the right decision. I, I literally had nothing else left to give at that point. Yeah. But, and, and this is one of the lessons I think I learned from it guys. And I think I truly believe every single one of us has got this with capability that, you know, my body was broken physically without doubt. You know, I, I had nothing left in the tank to give, but mentally my mindset was still like, I'll get in the pool. Just let me get in the pool and carry on and let's see how we get on. Mm. And, but, it was almost like stepping into a little bit of a, a a danger zone. Like my mindset was so blinkered and focused on like day in, day out, I've got to do the swim, bike, run for seven days. That even when I was being told, no, you're going to hospital to get ch- checked by doctors, I still wanted to get in the pool. And I think that just typified that my mind, I wasn't thinking clearly at that stage. Um, there was lots of signs that was worrying, not just, I guess me, but also my family and, and, and the, the, the woman who was taking care of me. Um, and yeah, it, looking back on it, I, it sits comfortably with me, you know, because anything all of mm-hmm. us can, can aim to achieve is, is to do our best. And I literally knew at that moment in time, I gave everything that I had and couldn't have given any more. So, you know, it, it, it sits comfortably with me as much as I would have liked to have done the seven and seven. So what sort of symptoms were you experiencing then Franny as you mentioned your team pulls you out of the challenge and takes you to hospital so what sort of physical things were coming up well there was that that calorie deficit I think which you know was was having an an impact on my my ability to 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 perform each of uh, you know the the 2.4 mile swim followed by 112 miles on the bike then a 26.2 mile marathon (laughs) ridiculous ridiculous so ridiculous thing to even attempt. Yeah, I guess it, you know it's a bit daft in some ways, but um, you know wanted to 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 reach that that million pound target that I'd set for the charity, and this was the the, the final push really. So you know it, it was a big big challenge, a big big target to raise for, and it was a big 
big stress on me in, in many ways, you know, with doing these three disciplines. But physically, the signs I'd started to see from day three were I, I, I went to bed that night. And, you know, when you go to sleep at night, you, you're clearly resting. I, I remember folding my arms across my chest to try and go to sleep. And I just remember my heart was really thumping and pounding as if I was sprinting down the street. Um, and I thought, wow, th this isn't right. You know, something's not not normal. My heartbeat shouldn't race and be racing this quickly. But I didn't say anything at that point. I just thought, try and get to sleep. I'll be okay in the morning. The next day was a real struggle. The entire day, the swim, bike and run was just what what felt like a, a, a day that never ended. Um, and by the end, I was I was in a real mess. You know, I was the, the, the team noticed me on the marathon that I was weaving across the pavements. I remember checking my, my device to check the time and mileage and, and not being able to focus clearly. I remember the, you know, struggling to see the, the figures on my watch, you know, so my vision was going blurred. Um, so there was a lot of sort of, I guess, warning signs that, you know, something wasn't right. And, and as I say, the decision was taken out of my hand at that point. But you must be bursting with pride because to raise that amount of money for charitable causes and of course, as you mentioned, an ambassador for Southampton in the community, a cause that I know you're very close to, despite the fact that, as Jim says, that might have been crushing for you not to be able to do the seven in seven days to have reached a magnificent milestone in terms of money raised. You must be really proud of that achievement. Oh, for sure. No, yeah. And, and that was the aim from day one, you know, however we were going to get there. Uh, I, I'll be honest, it, it, it took a lot more challenges than than I thought it would done. Um, it was... But at the same time, you know, I, I might have been the, the, the focal point or the person doing each of the challenges, but it, it was a huge team effort. You know, I can't underestimate, you know, first and foremost, my family. They backed me 100%. They were on every single one of the challenges with me. Uh, and although they may not have been swimming, riding or, or running every single mile of it, they were with me every single step of the way. And, and, and that goes for the support team that I built around me to, 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 to help me complete these challenges. Every single one of it was invested for the right reasons and that was to raise that money. Uh, so when we did it, it was a, a brilliant moment uh, and it, it currently stands at around about 1.4 million. So we're, we're absolutely thrilled to have managed to have raised that kind of money for a great cause. Now, you never won a trophy as a Southampton player and I'm not just saying that because I support Pompey, by the way, but when you came back to the Guildhall Square in Southampton after you had completed your challenges and the reception you received with the amount of people that were there to greet you. Was that quite an emotional moment for you, returning back to that scene? Yeah, very, very emotional. I, I, I think when you, you go through these kind of tests, shall we say, or, or challenges, it, um, you know, clearly my emotions were all over the place. I was, I'd, I'd, I'd range from being on the highest high and feeling like I could take on the world and felt invincible to literally being completely broken physically and mentally um, and, and then anywhere in between, you know, so that the emotions are all over the place. So to arrive back on that last day, not knowing what was really going to be the finish line, you know, the, the team kept that secret from me, what the, the, the finish was going to be. Um, and I had no idea that the, the 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 crossing line of the tape was going to be you know uh, the Guildhall filled with hundreds and hundreds of people and um, yeah it, it it was a very emotional moment and especially given what we that journey we've been on to that point I think it um, it was a huge amount of work and effort by an awful lot of people to have got to that point so yeah yeah very very pleased very proud. 
I think obviously a massive moment for you with it being in your home city of Southampton. But what was life like growing up for you as a young man when you're just about to embark on your football career? I remember hearing you say once that you grew up in a, a council block, which wasn't a million miles away from where St. Mary's is now. No, the, the, the flats where I first lived with my, my mother and my parents, you know, I was, I was adopted at birth. Uh, my, my, my adopted parents split when I was a baby in arms. And then my mother raised me in, in a, a block of flats originally um, before we moved to a, de- a separate part of the city uh, with my, my grandfather who is deaf. So it, it, it literally is a stone's throw away from where Southampton play now at St Mary's. Um, it's on the Golden Grove estate in St Mary's. And yeah, I, I, I guess in some ways it was, it was, you know, beginnings that sort of fueled my desire from as long as I can ever remember, wanting to play football, you know, even just kicking the ball around in the, the small park outside the flats. Um, from that moment onwards, I, for as long as I can recall, all I ever wanted to do was was kick a ball around and, and, and play professional football one day. Uh, and it was very different back then now, you know, for anyone of a certain age, you know, football back then was, you know, in the playground with your mates, in the streets with your friends or, or down the park with you, with your buddies. And, you know, I, I never played for an organised team until I was 13 years of age. So certainly by today's standards, you know, when players are getting picked up at academies at six, seven, eight years of age, I was, you know, by comparison, a, a very late starter. When did you know that, or when did anyone know that you had something a little bit special that was, you were that much better than your mates or the other kids on the estate? Uh, I, I think I saw it probably at school in the playgrounds. You know, I... I to say I found it easy is, is the wrong way to put it, but I, I I could tell I was good at football. You know, I I, I knew that I was pretty pretty useful on the playground, uh, albeit having not played for a proper team at that stage. But then it just escalated really quick when I eventually signed for a local Sunday Taro League team, uh, having been spotted playing from a school team in a five-a-side tournament. And then within a year, that escalated to being spotted by a scout at Saints, being invited into Southampton to do some trials and training sessions and signing at 14 years of age as I did back then as an associated schoolboy. And then again, just the, the journey, you know, just seemed to accelerate. I, I played for England schoolboys, played nine games, scoring three goals, played a couple of times at Wembley, the old Wembley Stadium, which was just magical uh, and started life out back then as a, as a striker, a big, strong, strapping striker. And the beginnings of that moustache you touched on now, <laughs> uh, even as a teenager, you know. So I was physically sort of quicker and stronger than a lot of the players I was up against, which gave me an advantage. So I, so I knew I, you know, I had a, you know something, some ability, some talent. But then it really sort of dawned upon me as I, you know, started coming up in the youth team with the likes of Letizia, Shearer, Rodney Wallace. That, you know. A lot of these guys are enough, awful lot more talented than me. And I, I realised I had to really devote myself from a, a, a professional perspective and fitness level that, you know, would give me the chance to, to, to become a pro one day. Does that go back to that kind of like, because the events you were talking about earlier in the challenges, no one does that without a huge level of focus and single mindedness. You need that to do that kind of stuff. Do you think that's what also helped you? climb the ladder as a professional footballer that kind of driven single-minded this is my goal mentality yeah 100 percent, without doubt you know I, I think that's just something that's always been in me um maybe partly due to my upbringing and my background 
um, and you know, it even goes as far as things like how I genuinely wanted my life to look like. You know, I I, I came from a broken background. My family, I think, from a a young young man, I always knew how I wanted to be as a a husband, a father, uh, a friend, a colleague. Uh, I, I just wanted to be the the best version of myself that I could be for for not just me but for people in my life and the relationships that I was going to have. Um, but that drive driving force was has always been a huge thing for me. You know, I I never saw myself as the best of players and and talent wise, and I always felt I had to you know go over and beyond my approach, my dedication, my prof- professionalism, my attitude, my work rate, all those kind of things. Uh, to to give them a chance to to compete at the level that I played at and and for as long as I did you know I didn't want to just go in there and play a handful mm. of games I wanted a, a long career at that at that you know football and and I guess there was you know part of that drive came back to not being great academically at school you know I, I pretty much went to school to to take part in PE lessons that that was my love and passion playing sport especially football. Um, so there was there was no plan B for me. I, 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 if I hadn't become a player, I have no idea what I would would have gone on and done. Clearly, I would have had to have done something, but uh, maybe not. Iron Man, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but not having that plan B, I think, always drove me. You know, I was so focused on 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 achieving what I wanted to to, to do in football. I bet Marley's got a question about Alan Shearer and playing with him being a Newcastle fan. I can see I can it on see his the face. the second that you mentioned Alan Shearer, like Marley started like paying attention. He was like, I don't know what he was thinking about before that. I I can't I can't relate to the Iron Man thing because I get knackered going up the stairs. So I was like, <laughs> so no, I I wanted to ask because I was explaining to I think it was uh, one of the lads you worked with Joel or it might have been Owen um, that Shearer back in the day used to be lightning quick. He used to be rapid when he was a, when he was younger, when he was a eighteen, nineteen at, at Southampton. But you know, playing with him in Letitia, like how how good were they? Did you know that they were like just another level? You mentioned you you were good at school level, and then you got to them. Those guys, you know, did it bring it home? Like bloody hell, this is the level of of uh, of talent that I'm dealing with here. Yeah, I mean, it, it was in and amongst me, you know, it, 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 with the players I played with, uh, you know, once you step into that full-time football, what was effectively a, a two-year apprenticeship, the old youth training scheme, 20, 24, £25, 50 a week, whatever it was back then, um, with a £3 win bonus in the youth team as it was then, from what I remember. Uh, yeah, uh, just brilliant days, you know, so many fond memories, you know, great group of guys that I came through the club with, uh, it was an exciting time, you know, the first team had, when we first stepped through the doors of the club on a full-time basis at 16, coming out of school, there was Peter Shilton, Joe Jordan, um, Mark Dennis, Jimmy Case, uh, Danny Wallace, uh, Nick Holmes, they were just incredible football players, Mark Wright, David Armstrong, you know, players that, you know, just had been there and done it all at the highest level. And it was a, a great environment to be in, but you knew your place as a as a sixteen year old apprentice. You know, we we worked hard. We had a youth team manager called Dave Merrington, who was like a a real strong taskmaster in many ways, and set standards for us on and off the pitch, which I think have stuck with probably myself and any others who came through the system at the time, in and out of football in our lives. And um, you know, it, it was the foundation for us to, to to go on and have the careers that we did. I think, but. 
yeah, when I when I saw the likes of you know the, those players, um, Matt and you know Letizia and, and Alan Shearer were very different. You know, Matt was just a a genius, a god given talent that could do things that you know barely anyone else could do on the planet. It seemed. Um, whereas someone like Alan was just like a a real uh, dedicated, strong, physical player, as you say, quick. Uh, but you know the mentality of him as a young man even was what we we saw over the coming years throughout his career uh, with the clubs he played for Blackburn, Newcastle, and England. He was just that that strong, single-minded. I'm going to do the best that I can uh, to to be as good as I can, and 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 you know the Premier League top goal scorer, record goal scorer. It says it all, really, doesn't it? Did walking into that Southampton youth team and seeing Matt Letizia and Alan Shearer, because you said you were a striker, you started out as a striker. Did you kind of walk into the youth team, watch a few of them play and go, I need a new position here, boys. <laughs> it's just like, got to find somewhere else on the pitch to play. Well, well, do you know, it was more through fate, really, that you know I ended up becoming a, a left fullback. I played a number of times, especially under Alan Ball, who played me as a, a almost like a man marker as a centre-half to, to try and stop the, the, the opposition's star striker maybe but um and I used to relish that I loved that because it, it played into my qualities you know I was not the most talented from a creative point of view but I was aggressive I was strong I was quick uh and you know I'm, I'm only five foot nine so I'm far from being what we'd, we'd all classify as you know a typical uh centre-half stature nowadays but um I loved that side of it, the, the destructive side of the game. You know, I played in an era where you could be quite physically intimidating and I used those kind of skills and attributes I had. Um, so, yeah, from seeing those kind of guys, it was brilliant time to be playing in the youth team along those those lads. It, it, you know, we had a strong setup at the time uh, and a lot of other good footballers that, if they didn't make it at Southampton, went on to have great careers elsewhere. Quoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Going back to growing up in Southampton and not far from the stadium, I believe your walk to school took you right past Saints Old Ground, which was called the Dell. And you used to be able to see the pitch in a little gap in the fence um, as you walked past. Did you ever get to go to many games when you were a youngster or was it a case of you could see the pitch and that almost accentuated your dream of playing for Southampton? Because we hear players now in the Premier League to use... Dan Byrne, for an example, at Newcastle United, had a season ticket at St. James's Park with his dad, going 
goes on to play for the club. And of course, that's a proud moment for him. Was it ever like that for you? Was it almost like the way to get into the Dell is to play for Southampton? Uh, I did go and see some games as a young lad. I mean, you, you're right now. On my way to my middle school, I, I, my junior school was in Archers Road, which is where, you know, the the Dell was at the time. Um, I used to walk past the the, the the Dell gates in the Archers Road end of the stadium, and peer through the gap and just see the pitch. And that that fueled my my passion and desire to to eventually hopefully play professional football one day and and for Southampton. But as as a young boy, I was a Liverpool supporter mainly really I had family in Liverpool and in the 70s and early 80s obviously they were such a, a, a strong side weren't they so I guess I had that li- bit of a, a li- Liverpool allegiance but you know being a young boy going to middle school when Saints are winning the cup it, you know it was just a brilliant time um, and then when I got a bit older I started going to a couple of games at, at the Dell with with one or two of my school friends and um, yeah and then it was just like I was so I think it was it was literally all I, I wanted to do, play football. That's all I, I can remember doing. You know, any downtime, playtime at school, in the playground, you know, downtime outside of school, it was kicking a ball around. And, you know, hopefully that would accelerate to, to getting on the books of a club. And that ha- turned out to be my hometown club, which was, you know, an absolute dream for me. What does that stadium mean to you? It's not there anymore, the Dell, of course, been replaced by St. Mary's. But we hear a lot of stories about how old school it was and I've spoken to Southampton fans before who say that they miss the Dell do you miss the Dell oh, what are your memories changed, of the place there was such uproar from the fan bases I remember that I remember how upset everyone was when everyone left the Dell and there was like rumours of there were witch doctors and stuff brought into the new stadium to bring like the atmosphere back and stuff I remember it, it was a big moment yeah it was it was a huge adjustment especially for for players like myself and Matt and Jason Dodd and guys that had played there for many years um it, it was. It was a unique football stadium. It was very much like the old stadiums that we we, we saw back in the day. Um, it was even more unique before it went all stadium, uh, all seater. You know, I mean, blimey, they, I think they had over thirty thousand in there when it was all you know the terraces and things, which seems crazy now. But yeah, it, it was the most unique players and people like myself, especially being brought up in in the city. Uh, knew every inch of it. And, it and it was a massive advantage to us as players over the years so to replicate that when we went to a modern stadium and St Mary's as it is now was was difficult especially initially and it took some time for us to settle but the, the most brilliant place to play and, and maybe not the most luxurious from a, a spectator's point of view but if you're a home fan it, it, it was just unique and we could create an atmosphere that made it difficult for the big sides whenever we played them. When you look at the Dell now or the where the Dell used to be do you ever think back to those days when you were coming through because if I said to you what do you remember of the 1st of October 1988 I'm pretty sure you'd be able to tell me straight away what I'm talking about is that my debut that is your debut against Derby County so so how was that for you going from the lad who walked past the stadium on the way to school to then wearing Southampton's kit and running out there incredible Something stirs inside me, even driving by or if I run by there now um, on, on, a, on a training run. Um, it, it feels weird, actually. It's been built on. You know, it's, it's all housing now. But I, I, I never, ever go near there or past there without thinking of it as, as the football stadium. It, it, and it, it, especially as the years go on and I get older, it, it, it seems even more of a distant memory, clearly. But 
it's still so alive and so strong, my memories of it, uh, because it was such a special place. Um, yeah, and, and, and to make my debut uh, and, and come on in a game, uh, you know, becoming a professional was one thing, but then clearly, you know, you're on that ladder and you, you want to take the next step to break into the team. And once you do that, you want to stay in the team, you want to play more games. And when you're a young player like that, you know, I was in and out of the side quite a bit before I was getting a regular run of games. And I, I think every step, every little bit that you, you, that next run on the ladder that you achieve, you, you think, well, I want to keep going. I want to carry on. And um, yeah, it just fueled it. Every, every stage, every step, like the debut just gave me that taste to want more of it. It was, it was, it was almost like quite an addictive thing. You know, it was like, mm. wow, I've had a taste of that now. I've, I really want to be playing games. I want to be starting games. Uh, so yeah, it, it was just to be paid basically to play football for my hometown club for, you know, I had a 20 year association there as a player, you know, I, 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 I used to pinch myself genuinely on a daily basis to think I'm being paid to, to do something for my hometown club that, you know, in many ways you would, you would do for nothing. You mentioned the atmosphere at the Dell and it was like a real boxy closed in stadium and it was intimidating to play in if you're an away team did that work the other way as well particularly as a young player coming through the ranks does that add to the pressure when you can like hear the criticism and hear the abuse coming from the stands yeah I mean I, I genuinely believe the the players the staff and the supporters um being being as one it, it sounds a bit cheesy but you know that genuinely, I believe, like pulled us through some of the relegation scraps we were in. And when most people had written us off, especially the outside world or the media, um, we, we had a belief and a confidence that we could always get out of trouble. And and we did that. You know, it was my time as a player. I was never never relegated, albeit we were, we were staring, you know, clearly in the face on many occasions. Um, but, you know, there's, there's this downside to it as well. You know, I'm not afraid to, to, to share that. In the, my early days, there was, you know, quite a few sections of the crowd that that didn't like me as a player, and and you know would boo and jeer when I either made a mistake or my name was read out on the team sheet, and and I had to win over those those, you know, kind of supporters. And I know you're never going to be everyone's favourite, clearly, but I think by the end of my career or through my career, at the very least, I think even supporters that maybe didn't like my style of football or me as a player would probably respect that I gave absolutely everything and 100% for the share every single time I played in it. I spoke to some Southampton fans and I do know a couple, uh, not many, but a couple. <laughs> you feel all right now? <laughs> some of them like are all right. Some of them are all right. <laughs> like, Franny, just about get away with talking to him. Um, but I asked one what he thought of you as a player and as a person and he said that you were the heart and soul of Southampton. Now, you've expressly said in the past that you never wanted to leave Southampton as a player or even as a resident. I mean, you still live in the city now. So when you hear someone say something like that, Francis Benali is the heart and soul of Southampton. How does that make you feel? Well, it's, it's very kind words, whoever said it now. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm proud. I'm, I'm humbled by it. It's um, genuinely, if, if that's how the majority of supporters feel, um, you know, I, I, I always felt I was representing them as, as a boy born and raised in the city that was fortunate enough to to be in a team out there when, you know, I could have quite easily been in the stand cheering the team on. 
um, I, I felt I had an added responsibility to the supporters and the people of the city to, you know, even if I made mistakes, even if I had bad games, and clearly I had that on many occasions, um, I always felt that it was my duty to to give absolutely everything. And, and you know, and if that's how people feel, then I'm, I'm pleased that they recognise that. I mean, as a Southampton lad, born and raised, you must absolutely despise Portsmouth, right? Is that not how it's supposed to work? <laughs> you know how it is. No, it's um, you know, I, I was born and raised with that and, and that rivalry. Um, and and it was strange actually, you know, that um, you know, throughout my my my, my playing days, I, I never played a competitive game against um, Portsmouth in, in a Saints shirt. There was reserve games, you know, when re- the reserve teams were playing, we played. Portsmouth reserves and you know there were some games there home and away so you know we were well aware of that rivalry um there were a few cup games but I never actually played in them uh one I was I think I was intentionally left out by the manager um maybe in in hindsight it might have been a probably a wise decision you know given my emotions I would have liked to have thought I'd kept them under control on a day but who knows I was I was specifically left out that day and I remember that being a, a massive blow for me at the time you know, of all the games I would probably want to play in in my career, it would be that one. Um, but then there was the, the Alan Knight testimonials you touched on, and that was quite a feisty affair. And, you know, the, the, the home support that night turning out for Alan, but certainly to, to make their feelings known against who he was playing against, um, made us, you know, no, under no illusion that there was the rivalry there. And as, as a boy born and raised in the city, like I say, I was, I was fully aware of that, that, that rivalry and competition. And my one competitive game against them was when I was on a, a three-month loan spell at Nottingham Forest actually and it was at Fratton Park that uh, you know I so I, I was playing in red and white albeit not the, the red and white of Saints um, we won I'll be, I'm, I take great joy in saying that we won the game and myself and Dave Besson who is another former Saint on the day made the most of the celebrations afterwards which uh, I don't think went down too well with the home support that day um, but yeah it's a uh, I think I firmly knew that I was a I was a Saints player, albeit being in a Forest shirt that day when uh, we I, I ran out at Fratton Park. I'm going to get you... some eye rolls from these two here. Do you think it's an underappreciated, underrated rivalry in English football? Because it's rare. We don't see it. I think it's like an average of seven or eight years every time Pompey and Southampton come face to face. It's it's not underrated at all. You, you, you know this. <laughs> you know this now. Um, and and anyone that that. I'm sure people have a, an appreciation for it, but I, th- I think you you either need to live in either of the cities or be associated with the football club in one way or another um, to know the rivalry. And, and it goes obviously very deep. It's a historical thing. But I think that's what, you know, just makes it seem that much bigger in many ways is that we don't have the regular encounters, do we? And I think whenever they do come round, um, that's what seems to make it much more of a bigger thing uh, as as we know it is. Would you ever conceivably have played for Portsmouth? Because rivalries are one thing, but jobs and contracts and football careers are another one. If someone had come along and whacked a great big Portsmouth contract on the table, could you have <laughs> ever pulled on the shirt? I don't know what's more funny. You asking Franny if he'd play for Portsmouth or the idea that we'd pull out a big contract to try and sign him. <laughs> Harry Redknapp era, that's what I'm thinking. Seriously, it, it, it wouldn't have happened. No, it just Good. simply as that. I mean, it, although having said that, when I was about to sign schoolboy forms, there were 
a handful of clubs interested in signing me before I signed for Saints at 14 and they were Aston Villa, uh, Arsenal, Southampton and the other one was Portsmouth. So, yeah, it was um, it was a, a, an easy choice for me, uh, clearly, uh, to join my hometown club. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think a Benali signature at Portsmouth <laughs> would ever in the case. Well, listen, Franny, I really like you, mate, but I'm quite glad that it worked out the way that it worked out. And I think you probably are as well. Yeah, yeah. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We often play a game with our guests here on Football Social Daily, Franny. It's called Web of Lies. And what we've done is we've trawled through the internet to try and find some interesting stories about you and your career. And it's up to you to tell us whether they're true, false, or maybe a little bit in between. So if you're up for it, we'll get stuck right into it. So the first one we've got here says, Francis Benali was once hit by a rubber chicken from the stands when taking a throw-in during a match. Is uh, that true? That is sort of true um my recollection of it was it wasn't it was a chicken but it wasn't a rubber one um my recollection was that it was a, a raw chicken that <laughs> got thrown to me and, and it was at it was at west ham united um in a game and the ball went into the crowd in the section known as the chicken run and when I went over to, you know, put my hands out to hopefully get the ball thrown back from that section of the crowd somewhere, I just remember seeing something come back towards me and I went to catch it thinking it was the ball. And it it was one of the supporters <laughs> throwing a, a raw chicken onto the, the, the side of the pitch. And I, I nearly caught it thinking it was the football. So, <laughs> so yeah, it, it was true, but not a rubber one. <laughs> Have you ever spoken to another professional that had that experience? Cause, well, what's the backstory there? Did the West Ham crowd just take chickens <laughs> to throw from the stand or had the someone the, must have had smuggled he, it in at some point he, under like a horrible wet juicy chicken under your coat uh, had he, he might have <laughs> so done his big shop on the way in or something he just gone to Tesco <laughs> and that was the first thing he got out of anger got the weekly shopping on the way to football and yeah. going home yeah I, I have no idea I have no idea if it happened other occasions but 
that's the one and only time that I, I can recollect it happening. But uh, yeah, pretty pretty bizarre. It's the, it's the only time it happened through my career. So yeah, certainly a one-off. Did you actually catch the chicken or did you just let it drop in the end? I didn't. I didn't. I think at the last moment I thought, blimey, that's not a football. What is it? <laughs> that's and that keen, that's that's like keen footballing mentality, isn't it? That Only footballers have that. That's not yeah. a football. That's a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Patrice Everett would have taken it home. <laughs> you left backs are a strange bunch, yeah. aren't you? Um, all right. So that's kind of true, but not true at the same time it was a chicken that was thrown at Franny but it was actually a real chicken at West Ham United and incidentally if you're listening to this and you are a West Ham fan and you remember that day or you remember launching chickens from that section of the stadium then get in touch with us because I'd love to be able to hear exactly what the story is all right next one Franny it says here Graham Souness forced you to shave your iconic moustache when he signed for Southampton and he said, there's only room for one moustache at this club. <laughs> uh, that, that is false, guys. Oh. That is false. Oh, that's a um, shame. But uh, I'd had the moustache from a you know a, a young teenager for years and years. And, and when I met my wife and we settled down and everything, she, you know, for, for years, what seemed like years, she was saying, why don't you shave it off? You know, like, just have a change. It'll grow back in no time if you don't like the look. Um, but I used to sort of think, no, this is looking good, you know, I'm going to keep it. Um, but then when Sunes joined the club, yeah, I, I, I think it was, it might've been me that joked once that, uh, you know, the club wasn't big enough for, for two moustaches and this, this was pretty impressive, wasn't it? And being the boss, mine, mine had to go. So yeah, I shaved it off at that point. All right. Okay. So that one's, that one's false, but picking up off the back of that, uh, Southampton fans, I've noticed, do have this little thing that they do whenever they go to an away stadium or indeed anywhere in the world. They take a bunch of stickers with them and it is your Panini sticker, your kind of footballer sticker. And it's one of you back in the day with the moustache and they're always sticking it in places. I haven't told you this before, but I was on holiday in Cornwall about a year ago and I got to the caravan that I was staying in and stuck to the drain pipe was bloody Francis Benali. <laughs> Great big collared shirt as well. Yeah, there was, there was a few <laughs> kits like that back in the day, wasn't there? And and yeah, quite often on a lot of them, yeah. there was the, 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 the moustache as, as we're discussing. But yeah, I, I think it's a, become a little bit of a thing, I think, for a lot of Saints fans now that um, I think originally it might have been either might have been just one guy or a handful of supporters that started the craze. And then with social media as well, they created a, a Benali on tour Twitter account. And, you know, they, there's a few followers on there, but the only one person that they follow is me. Um, and, 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 and yeah, it seems to be a thing that whether people are at the Golden Gate Bridge or the Coliseum or the toilets of an away ground somewhere that my sticker often gets placed it up and you know a picture gets posted on this account or it gets sent to me and uh, yeah it, it's, it's just a, a, I guess a, a bit of a way maybe to recognize the the iconic Tash back in the day a little bit and uh, yeah it's, it's it's a bit of fun and I, I, I often sort of smile when I see a picture pop through on my phone on on socials but um yeah there's one or two places they pop up where you think oh that's maybe not the best of places to be, <laughs> be having your sticker stuff but uh yeah on the whole it's, it's it's quite quite nice and quite amusing yeah good fun from the southampton fans and this is the final one from web of lies today franny and it says brendan rogers once bought a set of garden chairs from you is that true <laughs> no he didn't I, I, I think that was me just being a bit cheeky one day um i think it was when he was manager of liverpool and uh clearly we know that there's a bit of a history of players being signed from 
Southampton to, to go to Liverpool and uh, I, I think I might have had a, a garden chair out in the, the back garden and I think it was around about the time one of the players had left Saints to join Liverpool and I think I I stuck a, a Saints badge on it or something like that and uh, posted something like um, maybe now Brendan Rodgers will bid £8 million pound. I've, I've been trying to sell this chair on eBay for, <laughs> for the last few weeks but stuck a, a Saints badge on it and now maybe Brendan Rodgers will pay about £8 million for it <laughs> <laughs> brilliant so he didn't actually get into your dms and buy some old garden furniture off you then <laughs> no 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 it's just me being a little bit tongue-in-cheek a little bit about the uh the signings that liverpool were making all right franny well that concludes weber lies some interesting uh stories there from uh, franny about his time in the game and no brendan rogers didn't buy any chairs off of mr benali here you said when you were younger you were a striker right but 370-something appearances for Southampton later and you've scored one goal. What happened <laughs> What happened to super striker Francis? Oh, I know. I, I, I obviously used all my goals up in my, in my, my young schoolboy and teenage days by the, the looks of it. I, it is bizarre, really, isn't it? Because I, I was a, a frequent scorer at, at youth level and schoolboy level. Um, I think the change of position, clearly, in some ways... Um, resulted maybe in that sort of one goal just being the the, the total and near and near on 400 appearances but um yeah i i think i like i said I, I, it's one of the hardest things to do in football guys isn't it is to to score goals and and i, I touched on already during this chat my strengths were were probably stopping players and and the other side of the game so yeah i i, I was pleased that i got at least one you know it was uh that it would have been dreadful sat here you know, recollecting about your career, not having scored at all. So the fact I got one and it was at the Dell, you know, made it that much more special. And, and I was pleased to at least get one on the board. Whenever a player scores an unusual goal in a game with someone who's not used to scoring, you always get the same thing from the manager. They say, oh, he does it all the time in training. Did you do it all the time in training? Were you pinging him in from all angles, just it wasn't happening on the game? No, no. Okay. <laughs> the goal scoring side of things was, I, I, I realised, was not my thing. And, you know, I had plenty of other teammates that could do it much better than I could. Um, I should have been chipping in, clearly, with with more than the one quota throughout my career. But, uh, yeah, when, you, when you've got the talent in a team like I had, there was lots of others that could do it. But it, it was bizarre. I just remember when I did, did score it, you know, I... I don't know why, you know, because I wasn't supposed to be up in the box for the free kick. It was Matt Letizier swung a free kick into the box against Leicester in December 97, it was. So, you know, when you've only got one goal to remember, you know everything about it. Um, <laughs> and and I, I remember not really being picked up and they probably thought, well, Franny's not going to be any danger. We know his goal scoring record. Um, and the ball comes to me and I just remember thinking, just get a good connection on it and head it back across goal. And And as soon as it left my head... I just thought it's got a chance and it, it then time seemed to stand still for it's almost like the matrix you know when everything sort of slows down and it, it felt a little bit like that um, and when it hit the back of the net the whole stadium just went silent for what seemed like a second or two and it was like was that really Franny that scored and then the whole <laughs> bonkers and yeah I, I ran around screaming not knowing what to do but yeah it was a great moment we spoke to Wes Brown a couple of weeks ago and it was literally one training session where somebody got ill, a centre-back got ill, and he was like, I'll have a go, and he never looked back. So what was it? Was was there a moment where it just clicked or, or what? Uh, it, 
it was a bit of a, a conscious choice in some ways, but yeah, a little bit was was a little bit fate as well. Um, I, I was playing as a striker. I, the game back then, as it was, you know, defenders could clatter into forwards and attacking players, and even in the youth team, I'd, I'd, I'd in the reserves, I'd be finding myself getting into battles, and I was having a few disciplinary problems even in those youth team days. Um, so they consciously swapped me from as a striker to a midfielder, and that's where I made my debut in uh, against Derby in '88. Um, as a as a midfielder, they thought you know just in that position, my, my qualities would be better suited in there, and maybe not being kicked from behind would would help me a bit. Um, and then I remember being on the on the bench for a game, and our left back, regular left back, was Derek Statham, great football player. Um, and he was in, out injured and our right back at the time was a player called Jerry Forrest and he filled in at left back and within the first 10 minutes of the game, he went off with an injury. And I think the manager, Chris Nicholl at the time, looked at the bench and saw me as the only left footer. And he said, you know, can you go on and do a job for us today? And I was like, yeah, I was straight out. I'll, anything to get on and play. And uh, I must have done okay because from that moment onwards, I, I literally stayed as a fullback albeit, you know, a few occasions as a centre-half. But I, th I think it prolonged my career. It probably helped me if I was still just trying to compete as a striker with the, the, the talent that was coming through the club and the competition over the years. Maybe my career, actually not, I, I can say for a fact, not, not even maybe. I know I wouldn't have had the career if I hadn't have sort of changed position. I think I think that's interesting, Franny. Is there almost two Francis Benalis? Because off the pitch, you're one of the nicest ex-pros I've ever met. And as I mentioned before, you're a man of integrity with all of the things you've done and the, the life and the career you've had. But when you were on the pitch, there was that tenacious Francis Benali that sometimes would come out. And as you said, you got left out of that game against Portsmouth, maybe because of the emotional side of it. Is it almost almost like a, a switch or a different type of Francis Benali we see when you're running out onto the pitch and once that whistle goes to the man we see and we speak to today on the podcast? Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a, a a competitiveness inside of me and, and, and clearly everybody has it to, to some level and degree. Um, I, I, I think I used to, I, I, over a build-up to, to a kick-off in a... In, in a a competitive game would, you know, almost like psych myself up into a state where I'd be like, um, you know, as soon as that whistle blew, I was, I was out of the traps and then I was at it, you know, and I, I was, as I said, I was aggressive and quite feisty, uh, which, you know, probably helped me as a de defender in many ways, but yeah, that desire to win, to win and do well. And, and that's then coupled alongside, you know, there was, there was one since win for the club and my teammates and the supporters, but there's also the personal side of it, guys, you know, like quite often I felt I was literally fighting for my place in the team or to stay in the team or get back into the team or earn a contract. You know, never throughout my career did I ever felt like comfortable or take things for granted. So so I always felt I had something to prove. And I think that reflected in the way that I was serious and different, I guess, on and off the pitch. Um so yeah, I, I recognise that people when they do meet me, if they either played against me or saw me play, think, blimey, how can can you be sort of two different types of personalities? It's a little bit like the Incredible Hulk, I think. You know, <laughs> something happened, all of a sudden my eyes would would change and I'd, I'd start charging around the football pitch a little bit. Are there any on-field grudges <laughs> that still remain? 
given that then or are you just too nice to kind of still hold that against people no no nothing nothing i mean blimey yeah back back when i was playing there were probably times where i was like you know i i, I was probably thinking that you know I, I, I used to enjoy those those clashes um and you know competitiveness with with other players and yeah, and it, and and I I felt it was something I had to do, mm-hmm. um, in a sense, you know, being that serious about it, you know, it was it was my my livelihood, it was my the way I earned a living. I provided for my family, paid my mortgage, um, and obviously the the side of it of wanting to be successful as a club and a team, and you know, and winning ultimately. So so yeah, it, it's it, but it's it's different. I am different now, and. Uh, it, it doesn't carry on anymore. No, I'm, I've, I've, I've certainly mellowed with age, I think, but there's, there's still a fire inside my belly, which, you know, maybe has helped with these endurance events in recent years and wanting to, to you know, have a positive impact now. I think, you know, that that's very much my, my, uh, my, my purpose, I think is, is still being a role model for my family and, and a, a husband and a father, but hopefully inspiring other people and, you know, sharing my story that you know what what is possible in life if you you approach things you dedicate yourself um and give everything you know the impossible is possible um you know and if i people have told me i couldn't play professional football i'd never become a player people said it was impossible to do the challenges that i did um and i guess it's nice to prove people wrong at times well listen you use the word inspiring there and I think you absolutely have been that to many people and indeed you're a credit to the city of Southampton it's been an absolute joy speaking to you as always Franny so thanks for your time mate and all the best pleasure guys really enjoyed it football social daily always great to hear from Francis Benali even if he is a Southampton legend I guess with all the fundraising he's been doing we can forgive him the fact that he did play for Saints for so long What a great guy. So many good stories as well. And we've got some more excellent former Premier League players coming up for you on Football Social Daily. Next Wednesday, you'll be hearing from former Tottenham Hotspur man Pascal Chimbonda, who also represented Sunderland, Wigan and Blackburn in the top flight of English football. Hit subscribe and that way you won't miss our chat with the former France international. But from us here on Football Social Daily, that's it for now. We'll speak to you again soon. Football Social Daily is a VoiceWork Sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers.